It's time for JT the Brick. I love my job. I love the opportunity that I can come in here and talk to the Raider Nation. Talk to JT. As we are rolling on on the biggest topic in the NFL. This is nothing to dive into and look crazy about. Have we lost our bleeping mind? Look, the elephant in the room is the majority of our audience are Raider fans. And they would like the Raiders to win now. They don't want to rebuild. They don't care about two or three years. The last 20 plus years have been hard and they're sick of it. Excuses die. The record stands. JT the Brick. Are you kidding me? It's an absolute free-for-all with the Raiders on national radio debate shows. Everybody now is throwing blank up against the wall. No, no, no. Who are you listening to? Who's putting this in your head? But what happens next is what should this team do that's responsible, not reckless, makes sense, and could kind of thread the needle and get this team back to greatness. Are you with me on that? Put some respect on JT the Brick's name. And now, sound off like you got a pair. Here's JT the Brick. Now Rhett Lewis joins us from NFL Network. How do you do it? I said this on my other radio shows when we had you on. How many hits did you have, podcast, (laughs) radio, and TV over the last week? Hey, it, it might have been, uh, we might have been into the hundreds, <laughs> yeah. but it was all, I mean, this is like getting Christmas three days in a row for me here. Okay. It's, it's the best season of the year. I mean, you can say fall, you can say, you can say summer or holiday. This is the draft is, is my, my Christmas time. It is my time. Uh, I love it. It, it look, it, it, it stems from being, you know, growing up in new Orleans, you know, and being a, a tortured son of a saints employee, uh, where, where, you know, like the draft was our super bowl every year. Okay. Yeah. So like, that's, that's, that's where it comes from. Let's start with trade Tucker. In your opinion, you knew he was yeah. on your radar. I call this the Darren Waller pick 100 yeah. right? for Darren Waller and the compensation. Yeah. Why at this time did they go in that direction? In your opinion? I, I think immediately what you're going to see is impact in the return game on special teams. This is a dude with two kick return touchdowns to his credit, in his career at Cincinnati. Um, and then he brings the speed and the strength. You're talking about a 4-3-40 type of player, which he ran at his pro day. He's been timed sub-4-3. Dude can also throw up 600 on the squat rack, so it's not like you're just getting a little jitterbug here. This is a guy that, like, when you put the ball in his hands, he can make dudes miss, and then he's got the, the physicality to hold up as well. Really solid dude. I think you put him in the slot where he spent most of his career at Cincinnati, and I think he just gives you something different than what Hunter Renfro gave you. We love what Hunter can do generating separation in a phone booth, but what Tucker does is is bring that speed element, that deep stretch the field element from a slot receiver role. I think he's going to have, like I said, immediate impact on special teams, and he'll grow into a big role on offense. You know, the funny fact about him that we learned after he was drafted and he was on the Zoom call with us is that he was a wrestler, right? That he has wrestling background yeah. and wrestling traits, and he's able to put that into his game on the football field. How much tougher do you think that that makes him, even though he's a smaller guy, but he has those tough background traits? It's feisty, man. Yeah. He's feisty. I love that. I love the edge that those kind of dudes bring to them. I mean, like That's what Raider Nation is going to love about this player is that competitiveness, that edge that you see in his background. And I particularly, and I'm sure Dave and, and the rest of the the uh, you know personnel evaluation team with the Raiders love guys who have played multiple sports and they've got that multi-sport background. You hear it from college coaches all the time. They want to recruit those kids. And so to see that, uh, that Trey Tucker has that wrestling background does not surprise me one bit. I saw him live and the dude was a flipping monster. He was so tough to bring down. 
I saw him against my alma mater, Indiana, and he absolutely torched him, got into the end zone in that game. Like, just a really solid player. So, Rhett, you're really familiar with this player, and obviously Dave Ziegler, the Akron-Ohio connection, and John Carroll, and all that. So we get that. The only thing that confuses me is DeAndre Carter, Hunter Renfro, special teams, and why Carter was brought in and what they're trying to do. There's only so many receivers that are going to make this team. And it sounds like you're saying – and I like this, his ability to stretch the field from the slot. You can go play right. action with Josh, and then all of a sudden he's gone. I mean, Trey's gone. He can get behind the secondary pretty quick, and you can have Devontae coming underneath on a crossing route or Michael Mayer just doing you know, a 10-yard sit-down route, and all of a sudden the field opens up for Jimmy G. Uh, JT is a great point. And, and so, you know, it, it helps to have different flavors, right? Like you're always trying to build a basketball team with your wide receiver core. Like you've got the stud small forward of Devontae Adams who could do anything from stretching the field to the intermediate routes to the short game, throw it to him quick, watch him go. He could do everything on the floor, right? Uh, if, we're, if we're continuing with that analogy. And now what you've got is, is the home run threat here with Trey Tucker, which maybe you just didn't have in that, in that form of a slot wide out. I'm sure you could put, you could pop him outside if you want to as well and let him blow the top off. So I just think that he gives you versatility within your wide receiver room. And, you know, look, you, you never know how things are going to shake out and, and, and in terms of injuries and in terms of opportunities once you get to training camp and, and mini camp. So, like, you want to have some, some depth both at the kick return spot, at the punt return spot, which he's also done in his career, and then just give you more options and more versatility within your offense. Red, I did want to ask you about Jacorian Bennett, the, the, the cornerback out of Maryland. He's the guy, and, and it's funny, he doesn't have big size, but he's got big production. And, again, I, I feel like with all these draft picks that Dave Ziegler had, there was a lot of production production behind these guys. Jacorian Bennett out of Maryland. What were your thoughts on him? Well, uh, if you're into speed, then you found the right guy. <laughs> just, right? Win, just, a, just speed kills, right? <laughs> just speed, baby. Yeah, yeah. No, that's what, yeah, the ghost of Mr. Davis was flying around here for sure with this pick. I mean, like this, he would have absolutely loved Jacorian Bennett, 430, 40-yard dash uh, at the Combine. He and his buddy Deontay Banks lit it up on that turf at Lucas Oil Stadium. Banks goes in the first round, Jacorian Bennett a bit later here. But again, this is a player that has over 1,300 career snaps out wide at the corner spot in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Okay, you, you know, like dealing with wide receivers, you know, like Marvin Harrison at Ohio State, you know, and like that talented core that they've got there. Ronnie Bell, who was a draft pick uh, a bit later of the San Francisco 49ers in this very draft. Like he has been there and done that with the best uh, in the country and has proven to hold up, to, to hold up very well. He's a dude that gets his hands on the football too. led the team at PBUs this last year. So I love those types of dudes that have the traits for one, right? The size he's, Plenty, plenty big enough, and then, of course, he's got the speed. But then you see that ball production, mm-hmm. and it's like we start to put this whole package together. And for a secondary that definitely needs a little help out there on the perimeter, because we love what Nate Hobbs can do in the slot, right? We need, need a little bit more depth out there out wide at corner. This is a dude that has that type of experience. Red Lewis joins us on Raiders Roundtable. All right, Red, this is, this is where I was a bit confused, and I think risk-reward is something you cover really good. They get Bennett. They wanted him. They ended up getting Christopher Smith, right? They get the players they wanted. But what happens if they weren't there because they went Trey Tucker and they they went quarterback? That's what confuses me. They got Bennett in between Tucker and O'Connell. But I was saying at one point in this draft, you got to keep pounding away on the defense. You already got two out of your first three picks. The defense needs to be overhauled. And now they're getting two offensive weapons close in the draft here. So that's what confused me. Now I understand why they did it. Those players (laughs) were highly, you know, high on their board, but I didn't understand it at the time because I thought defense should have still been a priority. 
And, and look, I think that's okay too. But what you're what you're judging throughout this draft process is how things are going to fall in terms of landscape within your draft room right. and your board. And while you know needs are important, and I thought that you know Dave and company did a great job filling some of those needs and starting to fill those needs during free agency because that's really what free agency is about, right? Because it is a targeted approach, whereas within the draft, you're trying to find good football players. Uh, you're trying to find good football players because you're getting them at a reasonable rate where that's usually not the case in free agency, where you're almost always overpaying for players, at least in terms of market value. So here I totally get it. You get a quarterback who you see a future in, in terms of developing down the road with Aiden O'Connell, who is under no pressure to come in here and play, you know, in the next year or two, maybe even three. And you get a player who's got a skill set that your head coach is familiar with, one of the most accurate passers in this entire draft, a guy who has beaten the odds time and time again, has been given the starting job at Purdue, had it taken away, earned it back. Like, that's the type of competitor, the type of mature player, by the way, just got married uh, a little while ago as well, like that I want on this team that understands his role, which is going to be to support Jimmy Garoppolo early and continue to improve his game. So, like, very difficult to pass on that. Plus, guys, I'm going to tell you right now, like I, I firmly believe, and not just with the Raiders, but we saw 11 quarterbacks taken in the top 150 picks, which is a common draft era record, 14 total. The majority of those players were drafted on day three. I, this is the Brock Purdy effect in my mm-hmm. in my mind. You're, you're trying to find and look at the types of players, types of quarterbacks that were selected there. Aiden O'Connell played six years of college football. Dorian Thompson Robinson from UCLA played six years of college football. Sean Clifford from Penn State, six years of college football. Clayton Toon, same thing at Houston. Like you go up and down, people are trying to find those experienced quarterbacks that have seen a lot of ball, have played a lot of ball. And Aiden certainly fits that bill. And I think he's going to give the Raiders uh, some real opportunity to grow that quarterback room uh, for the future. So, look, I understand your point about kind of deviating maybe from the need structure because the value was too high on where you had Trey Tucker slotted because of his dual impact, where you had Aiden O'Connell slotted because he is a quarterback. But the fact that you were still able to get a couple of D tackles, one earlier in Byron Young, one later in Nesta Jade Silvera, I think you're still starting to find some real quality depth pieces there along that defense. You know, let's stick with Aiden O'Connell real quick. You know, he's yeah. not a guy that's real mobile, but he's a guy that can get the ball out of his hands real quickly. So maybe that's how he makes up for the lack of mobility. But what do you think? I mean, you know a lot about yeah. this young man. What do you think his ceiling would be for the silver and black? Well, look, I think, you you know, you're drafting him because you see a future in him. You know, you're, you're not drafting him to say, like, ah, well, he, he may never really develop. No, I think you're seeing some potential in, in this guy being an NFL starter. And okay. I'm certainly not going to tell him that he can't be. Um, and, and, and here's the other thing. Sometimes it doesn't work out to where you're going to be the starter with the team that drafts you. That's happened a ton of times. Look at the way that Philadelphia stockpiles quarterbacks. They did it again in this draft. Like, they might end up flipping Tanner McKee for, you know, a third-round pick uh, to, to go challenge to be a starter somewhere three years down the road like there's value in getting these quarterbacks having them be you know valuable backups for you and then having them create value for themselves which in turn might create value for you later on down the road where you can flip these guys you know for draft picks if in case if in fact he's not going to find himself on the field here in las vegas so i think there's there's just Double value in that sense. He's going to give you a reliable backup here early on, developmental player, and then perhaps provides even more value either as a starter down the road or as a guy that is a trade piece. That is an outstanding point when you Mm -hmm. talk about having a chip for down the road. So best case scenario, 
He develops into a starter because he has yeah. an elite quarterback guru and Josh McDaniels, and he picks it up quickly. Or you can move him down the road. And look, that's why I asked you this at this pick, because yeah. I thought right guard or developmental right tackle, at that point, if there are a few there, you go get that. That's more important to keeping Jimmy G upright. But again, the Raiders needed another quarterback. I think Hoyer yeah. is an exceptional backup quarterback, mm-hmm. but he's a backup Certainly. quarterback. Right. And I'm just wondering, uh, two years from now, are we looking at Aiden O'Connell as an exceptional backup quarterback, yeah. or if he gets thrown in the fire, say the Raiders are 6-3, and three, or they got seven or eight wins, and all of a sudden he's got to come in, depending on who's yeah. the quarterback, and win games. Can he do that? And it seems like... Red, he's going to know this system inside and out. The quarterback here under Josh McDaniels is different than other organizations. Yeah. And you got to learn this playbook quickly. You got to adapt quickly. You got to be the first in, the last to leave. Let's touch on that, what Josh yeah. McDaniels' expectations are going to be for this young yeah. man who's played a lot, as you said, is married, is a mature behind, beyond his yeah. years already, yeah. Yeah. and he's going to be able to understand this playbook quickly. Well, I think that's so important. All of those pieces factor into the draft profile for this player in Aiden O'Connell. And, you know, I remember going back and following Purdue as I do, you know, covering the Big Ten um, as well as like, I remember hearing Jeff Brom talk about him while he was in a three-way competition a couple of years ago to be the starting quarterback. And like all he kept, all Jeff Brom kept saying about Aiden O'Connell is this is the most accurate quarterback we have in this race. I'm like, well, why isn't he starting? Like accuracy, you can't really teach. I mean, like you can work on footwork and you work on mechanics to try to get better. But like this dude's accuracy is his superpower. His between the years is his superpower, his decision making. And the fact that he's been around college. What's the dude that started at Purdue, walked on a campus at Purdue, seventh on the depth chart. Wow. Ends up being one of the one of the all time leaders. Okay, in terms of passing production at a very prestigious passing school there in West Lafayette. So I really like that. The other part about this that I really like is he's a guy that understands what it means to learn and grow behind other players. And while you want to be the starter, the way you handle yourself in those situations is very important. And that's what he's going to be in here right now with Brian Hoyer and with Jimmy Garoppolo. And what you've given is an opportunity for this quarterback room to really have calm waters, right? You're not drafted a guy who's always been the starter everywhere he's ever been his entire life. And now he's the backup and he's like, whoa, I'm not into this. Like that's not who Aiden O'Connell is. He's going to understand what his role is and continue to work to increase that role. But I think he is going to be a terrific piece inside. I think you're going to have a really cohesive unit within that quarterback room. And all those dudes, Brian, while you may not see Brian Hoyer, may not see Aiden O'Connell, they're helping get the best out of Jimmy Garoppolo as well. Like that is a unit in there. They support each other. They do homework for each other. Um, So I think, you know, Josh's expectations are for Aiden is be a good person in the room. Be a, be a support system in the room, work on yourself when you have the opportunity and, you know, let's see where this thing takes us down the road. Rhett Lewis from the NFL Network is our guest here on Raiders Roundtable. I wanted to go back to the secondary real quick and talk about a guy yep. with production, Christopher Smith, the safety out of Georgia. You know, two-time national champion, obviously back-to-back years, but six interceptions the last two seasons. Again, production and room to grow. What are your thoughts of the safety position with Christopher Smith? Well, look, I think it's kind of interesting because you're not going to typecast a player uh, into Dave Ziegler's model. Right. I mean, like, yeah, we saw speed with Trey Tucker, speed with Jacory and Bennett. And then we saw four, six, two, forty with Christopher Smith. <laughs> does he put, does he play faster than that? Yeah. You better believe he does to compete in the sec the way he has, uh, as a post safety, as a deep middle safety for Georgia, uh, the way that he's able to get his hands on the football, six picks the last couple of years, 10 PBUs the last couple of years. Like this is a dude who understands what's happening in front of him. 
right? And I think that is such an important quality for safeties in this league. I think he'll be a special teamer. Um, I think he'll, he'll definitely be a core teams guy early on in his career and work himself into a role defensively. But, uh, you know, he also kind of reminds me a little bit of a player who was drafted in the third round that kind of had a similar athletic profile in Jair Brown out of Penn State. Yeah, ran four six five, but the dude just started for three years at Penn State. And again, one of the best and highest levels of college football. And so I think Chris Smith kind of represents a, a similar piece to that. And, you know, as one of those guys who can let it all unfold in front of them, in front of him, who's played the majority as a, you know, as a role player in the back end, as a free safety, as we kind of look at those things, I, I think that's just a really valuable piece right there. Well, winning culture, too. Yeah, yes. I, I, we're going to stay on this because Q and yeah. I have been talking about this, and a lot of fans say it. Trayvon Merrick, this is the wake-up call. Yes, it is. I mean, he came yeah. in highly touted, mm-hmm. and I look at him, Red, as a center fielder who plays at the warning track. He doesn't make plays in front of him in regards to getting the football. Mm-hmm. He doesn't catch yeah. the football very well, and he's had multiple opportunities to do it. I think he's a unique unique athlete. He might be a better athlete than Smith. I don't know that, but I think they need to compete. The best player needs to be out there in the secondary. I want the playmaker who's going to turn the football over. We haven't seen that from Merrick. We saw this from Smith. The problem with Smith is he did get beat deep a lot. We saw that happen from time to time in some big games, especially, you know, in Final Fours where if they do take shots, at times he can bite and come up there. So I'm fascinated to, to get your opinion. Who do you think has the lead here Merrig or Smith when it comes to starting here or maybe by midseason? Yeah, look, I think it's it's obviously it's Trayvon Merrick's job still. I mean, yeah, and you're right. Yeah, he does. While he does play, like we see him down in the slot every now and then. We'll see him roll up into the box every now and then. He is primarily, you know, in that kind of center fielder role, um, just to kind of borrow a, a common phrase there. And so, look, yeah, I think, you know, you want to get you always want to be trying to improve and upgrade. And that's what the draft is about. And that's what day three of the draft is about is finding guys uh, who either fill needs, have traits, or can be a depth piece for you moving forward that eventually challenge for a starting job. And that's why I feel like, yeah, Chris Smith could be that type of player. Again, played in a complicated defense uh, with Kirby Smart, uh, you know, understands how to how to deliver hits when he needs to and how to find the football when it's in the air, which I think is obviously evidenced by his production in college. So I think he's got an opportunity here. Now, I'm not going to tell you that he's going to capitalize and become your day one starter, you know, at, at, at safety. But what he has is an opportunity and how he works over the course of rookie minicamp, OTAs, regular minicamp, and then into the fall and in the preseason, then we'll start to see, you know, how early we can expect to see this guy on the field. Because if he starts making plays, right, it's going to be hard to keep him off the field. You'll find a way to get him out there. Yeah, you want the playmaker on the field at the end of the day. You always want the playmaker on the field. I wanted to ask you about my favorite pick in this draft. That's Byron Young, the defensive tackle out of Alabama, the third-round pick. Uh, This is a guy that's really good at stopping the run and got an opportunity to get after the quarterback last season in Alabama, came away with four sacks. Uh, How big of a difference maker and how early do you feel like he can get on the field for the Raiders? Well, here's the thing. Like, I think this is a really intriguing pick because he's a dude that's a little south of 300 pounds, but has plays big enough to eat some space for you in the run game, can be a blue collar player in that way. But, you know, everyone looked up at Jalen Carter in terms of interior pressure, right, in the SEC from the defensive tackle position. But you know who was second in terms of providing that interior pressure more often? It was Byron Young from Alabama. Like, he had four fewer pressures than Jalen Carter this year. Uh, So I'm telling you, like, you know, while while you're wondering, you know, some some Raider fans out there might be like, oh, you know, Jalen Carter was on the board at seven. Maybe that's something we should have considered. 
I think you got a phenomenal value in Tyree Wilson falling to you at seven, and you got a player in Byron Young who is you know is not Jalen Carter, but man, like it's it the the gap may not be that big because I do feel like he is a versatile player in terms of being a guy that can help you stop the run and then providing that interior pass rush that quarterbacks just hate. So I really like that pick there, especially where they got him. Well, I read as we wrap it up, we'll stay with him because what's going to happen at this interior defensive tackle position, Tillery, Matthew Butler, Neil Farrell, Bilal Nichols. I mean, they got a lot of players Mm -hmm. here, and I want to know that this guy's going to play. I mean, I get this rotational piece, and there's a lot of that going on, and that seems to be the philosophy of this regime, which is a good one. Fresh legs, rotation. He doesn't have to start on the first series of a drive, but if the Raiders are at midfield and he comes in and he's able to get him off the field because he makes a great play, that's what I want to be able to see. What should be his percentage of snaps in a game? Like when you're drafted number yeah. 70 overall and you got that many tackles and interior defensive players already in the room, give us some expectations of how much we could see him. Yeah, look, I think, um, you know, early on, you're probably going to have to earn some snaps, mm-hmm. right? And so I think you're going to have to, what you're going to have to do is make the most of the 10 to 15 snaps that you're seeing early on. And then maybe you work that thing into 15 to 20 by midseason. And then if you're playing 25 snaps a game as an interior defensive lineman, like, that, that's kind of what you're looking for here. 25, I mean, like, Aaron Donald is a freak, right? He plays every snap. Like, that. you know, you just don't see that across the league time in and time out. Like, look how the Philadelphia Eagles are able to rotate 10 deep at times. I mean, like, you had guys like Brandon Graham on their NFC Championship run and their Super Bowl, he played 16 snaps. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So if you start to build a stable like that, I think, you know, snap count becomes irrelevant and snap effectiveness is what you're really looking at. And so if he could find some real effective and productive football in 10 to 15, you know, maybe closer to 20 snaps, like, man, like that's a win early on for a def- interior defensive player early in his career. You know, I really feel like he's a guy that can earn a lot of snaps in practice, right? With his oh, ability yeah. to get after it in practice, he's going to show that he deserves to be on the field. He played in over 50 games there at Alabama, and I think that that's something that we shouldn't discount, right? We should realize that yeah. that experience is going to go a long way with this team in, in particular. Uh, absolutely, and I think you saw that throughout this entire draft. And and look, I think a lot of these players, you know, this is still part of that COVID those COVID classes, right, where they had some of that extra eligibility and you had a player like Byron who was able to take advantage of that in five years and he ends up with 50 games. And look, I, I think that's that's phenomenal, right? That you're getting a player that's coming in that much more experienced and ready to contribute. I think we're going to see that kind of across the board to see rookies, especially those that, were, that had that extra experience that are going to be able to play meaningful snaps more of them more often and earlier in their careers. I think Byron Young will definitely be one of those players for the Raiders. All right, Rhett, last one, an important one with Dave Ziegler. Last year he comes in, it's a quick turnaround. He doesn't have all his scouts. He has to deconstruct the roster during the season, right, getting out of contracts, figuring out what he's going to do. Now he had a full offseason with his scouts, the senior bowl with Patrick Graham, all of that. So what was the message from him? When you saw, we started off, he was calm, he was cool, he didn't do anything crazy outside the box, but taking away what you were looking for with Dave Ziegler, what can we tell our audience that we should learn from him going forward as the GM? He's a a keen eye for value. 
Um, and it, it doesn't necessarily, what, what you're trying to do when you take over a franchise is you are trying to build a roster one to 53, not one to 25 or one to 22 in terms of starters. And the better the 53rd man on the roster is, the better the team is. And so as you keep kind of churning down there at that bottom end, the top end starts to get better because they're not asked to do as much as often. And so I think what we saw here is value, value from one to 53. You get a, a you get a top 22 type player in Tyree Wilson in terms of a starter right on the defensive side of the ball that can give you starter snaps and starter productivity. And then like you start filtering down in there. I think you're going to see some real contributions from this draft class. I thought, you know, methodical and again, just very as you guys were talking about in your in your opening segment, very calm and understanding of the room and understanding of the roster and understanding of what it takes to make those two things come together and to get the most out of both both facets in order to find the best possible 53 here for this Raiders team in 2023 and so like I just saw value throughout I saw an emphasis on wanting to get faster as a team we saw that in this draft and then like you just got you got to find those dudes that are just junkyard dogs Mm -hmm. and I think that's what you got in Byron Young that's what you got in Chris Smith like those types of players are key. And, and like sometimes you got to throw the measurables out and you got to just say, like, I know this dude can play football because I've flipping seen it on tape. And that's what some of these dudes bring here. And so that's what I think we're building here in Las Vegas. Red, enjoy the time off if you get any. I have a sense you don't get much. So enjoy it when you do. You Let's were fantastic. Go. Thanks a lot for doing this. JTQ, my pleasure. Anytime, guys. Wow. I say first, you know, the people inside, inside the building, uh, I, I feel like they make, make the organization, you know, they, they care about the players. Uh, and, you know, it's a lot of it's two other great pass rushers, uh, Max and Chandler. And, you know, I would want to come there and, you know, learn from the best and, you know, take my game to another level. It's Tyree Wilson. Raiders took him seventh overall in the first round. Thanks to Dave Ziegler. He joined us. For 30 minutes exclusively, that will be up on all Raider platforms, hopefully pretty soon here, and Raiders Roundtable is out. That is live. I'd like you to listen to me, but I have no problem if you listen to the Roundtable and watch what we did. Pretty big day today over here. Always a pleasure to connect with Gilbert Manzano, one of the best content providers in the NFL, now with SI Now, Sports Illustrated, and the Monday Morning Quarterback. Gilbert, good to talk to you, and like many, you were very busy. Very busy over this. The Kansas City vibe, the draft. Your big takeaway from Nashville to Vegas to Kansas City. What do you think? Yeah, you know what, JT? I think for me it was like uh, ignore the smokescreen reports maybe uh, two weeks into the lead-up of the draft because the whole C.J. Stroud stuff saying, hey, the Texans might pass on him. And you start asking yourself, will they really you know, pass on on a franchise quarterback? And yeah. You know, they got greedy and they got uh, Will Anderson there. So that, that was kind of my take with ignore all the, the smoke screen because then you have Will Levis going into the second round. Like, he was a potential option for, you know, the Colts, the Raiders, all these quarterbacks you teams in the first round. And then Will Levis goes in the second round. And then ignore all the all the, the noise about the value position of the running backs. B. John Robinson, number eight. Uh, number 12, Jamar Gibbs. So uh, that, those kind of surprising to me. So, uh, as always, JT, is always a, a few uh, curveballs uh, in the mm-hmm. NFL draft. You know, Gilbert, you nailed it on Houston. They'll, I don't think there'll ever be something like that. The only thing that can resemble that 
is if a team with the first pick in the draft take the first pick and trade up for the second. Because we had a team with the second trade up to the third. So you can only duplicate that by doing the exact trade. And the only way to go bigger is take the one and trade up for the two. And I think we both agree that's never going to happen. So this is a monumental moment in the history of the draft. And I wonder if it works, if more GMs are going to say, that's the way to do it. Let's blow up our picks. Let's give away picks everywhere in the draft. Let's just get two in the top ten. Yeah, you know, that's the thing in the NFL. Like, it's, a lot, it's a copycat league, and people want to follow the trends. And sometimes it's okay to, to, to try new things and see what happens. But, yeah, that would be very unique if it goes one and two. I thought two and three was just as wild. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, gave Houston a lot of crap for giving up that first-round pick next year to Arizona. And, you know, Arizona really needs the, the extra capital there. But at some point, if you're a franchise that hasn't really done much in the, in the past, four or five years or whenever Deshaun Watson left. And, and even during Deshaun Watson years, they didn't even go that far in the playoffs. So at some point, you got to just go for it and not wait for next year. And the teams that say, hey, you know what, that quarterback over there, like, you know, for example, Caleb Williams, let's wait for that guy. You're pretty much guaranteeing a tanking year. And then you're putting things, you know, uh, you know, I guess kind of gambling, saying, hey, we might get this pick, we might not. It even happened in Houston this year with the Lovey Smith going for two and they lost the number one pick. So nothing mm-hmm. is guaranteed. So at some point, you got to go for it. And I know people are saying with the Will Anderson, that number three pick, like, you don't move up for a quarterback. Well, the second they got C.J. Stroud at number two, you're done playing the waiting game. You don't need a quarterback. you got your franchise quarterback. So start building the roster. And I thought Houston had the right approach. And, yeah, people knock Will Anderson for not having upside like Tyree uh, uh, Wilson. But he's a polished uh, uh, edge rusher who got 34 tackles for loss in 2021 in the SEC. So this guy's ready to go. Uh, and two cornerstone pieces right away for Houston. And I do not knock uh, the aggressiveness uh, there for those guys. Uh, Gilbert Manzano, Sports Illustrated. So you gave the Texans an A. Your only A-plus grade was the Eagles. Obvious, they get two Georgia players in the first round and how they built out the best of that draft. And Usually a team that goes to the Super Bowl doesn't have a lot of draft equity, let alone pulling off an A-plus because they're paying the price for going to the Super Bowl, i.e. the Rams, a team you covered there. So walk me through the Eagles and how they dominated all those days. And it's going to be a rough road for the Giants, the Commanders, and the Cowboys to get by them anytime soon, I feel. Yeah, you know, you know, with the GM hire Roseman, like he, he has a reputation of being a, a, a great, uh, you, know, you know, I guess doing well in the draft and, and getting free agents and just kind of keeping that roster competitive year in, year out. And thinking ahead with the quarterbacks, you know, Obviously, it didn't work out with Carson Wentz, but he, he pulled the trigger on Jalen Hurts pretty early, and it worked out. But this was a different draft for Howie Rosen because he just paid uh, his quarterback you know, a massive extension, and that means a tight salary cap for years to come. So the best way to do that, you look at the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes and, and those teams with, with, the, with the non-rookie contract for the quarterbacks, you got to nail the draft. And I think Howie Roseman did that right away. Uh, yeah, you know, they are mixed, you know, you know, or questions about Jalen Carter. Uh, maturity and his work ethic and, and what happened in Georgia. That's that's something he's going to you know put his reputation on the line for. Uh, but if it pans out, he's going to be a, a quality starter. And and Jalen and, and Jalen Carter might not even start right now because they have Jordan Davis, his for, former college teammate, uh, and Fletcher Cox are ahead of him. I'm sure he will eventually. Jalen Car- Carter will start. But the good teams think ahead. They see uh, okay, there might be a hole here. There's mm-hmm. a salary cap, cap issue here. So you get starters and you develop them like. Maybe no Kobe Dean might not be the guy at linebacker, but they planned ahead. And now you can fill in at, at linebacker after they lost T.J. Edwards. So you keep that cycle going, that rotation of players, and you know they end up getting Nolan Smith at number thirty, which I thought was big to go uh, with 
possibly Brandon Graham being retired next year, and he mm-hmm. put him with Hassan Reddick. So you're always thinking ahead, and then you got to work around the salary cap. So uh, at this point, JT, I'm starting to ask myself, you know, is it the Eagles and then everybody else? Because the 49ers yeah. have some clearing holes on their roster, and then picking in the third round, uh, they, they definitely fell behind to the Eagles when it comes to at least looking at the rosters on paper. Gilbert Manzano, great NFL insider, SI.com. Uh, speaking of Jalen Carter, Seattle didn't take him at five. You gave Seattle an A-minus grade. They had six picks up to 123. They got in jig by the wide receiver at Ohio State. That was the first wide receiver there. Then Witherspoon went number five. I thought, you know, he was going to go six or seven. But then I love what they did from Denver. They got Derek Hall, the defensive end from Auburn. And then they got Bradford, the guard from LSU. They got some high-pedigree players here from big-time programs early in the draft. Yeah, Jason, one thing that stood out, one thing that stood out to me about, uh, you know, Devin Witherspoon from Illinois at, at number five, I am not surprised it went cornerback because, you know, you got the more cornerbacks, the better with so many great quarterbacks in the NFL. And I know most of them are in the, the AFC now, but you know, to kind of pair uh, Tariq Woolen with uh, Witherspoon was big. But the one thing that really stood out was he could have drafted uh, the guy who's, at, at, you know, athletic or, or, uh, or with, the, with, the, with the size and Christian Gonzalez and, and the guy being a Pete Carroll. I think Pete Carroll uh, is fond of, uh, of size and athleticism. Look at Tariq Woolen. Uh, and for him to go with a smaller one and then Witherspoon, that tells you how much they love his tenacity on the field, uh, how great he is as a cover man. Like he's like in terms of just coverage, he's ready to go. Maybe Gonzalez is more of the upside with the with the with the traits and the tools, but he already had that in Tariq Williams. So I think that really told me like, okay, this guy really could cover and and, and do well. And, and they overlooked the whole size. And then you're right, uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba to go with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure Geno Smith is happy about that. And he's probably one of the biggest winners in the draft because they passed on a quarterback. Well, they didn't, they didn't really get an option because Anthony Richardson went before that. But still, uh, it's, it's a good little roster for uh, for Geno Smith. And then the, the one that's kind of a head scratch, scratcher, but I'm okay with the UCLA running back uh, Charbonnet uh, going with Kenneth Walker. Like you feel like it's a, like it's a crowded position, but Pete Carroll loves that physical play style. And maybe come December and January, he's gonna tell people, uh, yeah, closing out games with those two running backs. That's the reason they pulled the trigger on him in the second round. Gilbert Manzano, check out all his work at SI.com, a team you formerly covered, the Chargers, you gave a C. They took Quinton Johnston in the first round. He's a beast. He's an absolute machine from TCU, but you know they blew a 27-0 lead in Jacksonville, 27-0. I didn't think their priority was to get the wide receiver, but maybe the injuries to Mike Williams and Keenan Allen. What was the mindset behind the Chargers doing that? Because they still need better players on defense. Yeah, I think you're spot on there, JT. Like, like I like the pick. Quentin Johnson could be, you know, a beast, like you mentioned. He has a lot of upside and a lot of potential. But I don't know why the Chargers were kind of in this win-now mode with the looming massive extension coming for Justin Herbert. And they got veteran guys like Khalil Mack and Keen Allen. And it's going to be a very messy salary cap because they defer a lot of money for next year. If you don't do it now, it's going to really, you know, fall apart, I think. So, why are you betting on a guy with upside to potentially help you as a number four receiver for the future? How about get an immediate impact player like a Dalton Kincaid? Because, you know, yeah, he's not a wide receiver, but he could stretch the field as a seam, a, a, a pass catcher. Uh, mm-hmm. Why not get somebody who actually fits the role that you need, a straight burner? Yeah, Quentin Johnson has some speed, but it's not that blazing speed that Zay Flowers, who went to pick after the Baltimore Ravens, that could have been a perfect fit, Zay Flowers. Uh, you know, even a guy like Michael Mayer could have benefited them. 
Uh, they need help in the second there. Uh, JC Jackson might not be ready to go after that gruesome injury he had at mm-hmm. SoFi Stadium. Like, Deontay Banks was available. He went to the Giants. So, a lot of head-scratching moves for the Chargers for not going with impact players that could be in week one. And the other concern with Quinton Johnson, like, you know, you hear the draft experts, you see it in the highlights. He doesn't have natural hands. He balls a lot of passes. Yeah, he has size. He's fast enough. Uh, he has definitely a lot of traits. But if you don't have natural hands, that's a very uh, – that's a very big red flag as a wide receiver, at least to me. Well, Gilbert Manzano, SI.com, as we wrap it up. You had only two grades in the D range. The Dolphins, a D plus, and also the Broncos, a D plus. Let's start with the Broncos with Sean Payton. They gave up a lot, a lot in the Russell Wilson trade, and they haven't got anything out of Russell Wilson. You know, they're up against it here. I don't think Denver has the personnel that most pundits think they have. They have the coach. I think the world is Sean Payton, but they got to kind of rebuild that defense and get Russell Wilson some more help. What'd they do? Yeah, it was kind of a strange draft for the Broncos. And maybe it was more of a, a, you know, you know, I guess a way to build, you know, get building blocks for Sean Payton's type of guys. Like, you know, when they got a receiver, I'm like, why do you gain a receiver when you already have a bunch of guys that maybe he's not fond of? And that's the first thing I thought of. Like, okay, he wants to bring in guys that he wants, not the ones that he inherited from the previous regime. And that happens often when you want to clean your house and you want to start over. But the Broncos are in a weird and in a very weird situation because they can't get rid of Russell Wilson, but they can't really do a full rebuild because if you want to get rid of Russell Wilson's contract, he needs to play well. And if he's playing well, you're probably winning games. So they're really in this weird middle cycle of trying to figure out who they want to be. Do you want to win now? Do you want to build for the future? And I think Sean Payne got caught up with that. with trying to figure out what to do. And this draft really told me he's trying to build for the future. So, uh, I wonder what happens with Russell Wilson and the Broncos, and maybe things go south quickly. They start just benching the guy, but then you don't have any kind of you don't build uh, uh, any any interest in the trade market to get rid of his contract. You might have to eat it and then money. Uh, the Broncos ownership do they do have the money there, and I know I'm kind of going away from the draft, but mm-hmm. it was just a very maybe telling draft, but also strange to to kind of figure out what the Broncos want to do in uh, 2023. Hey, lastly, who do you think got the better addition locked up long-term, Aaron Rodgers to the Jets or Lamar Jackson to Baltimore? I like the culture in Baltimore better than the Jets, and I don't think the Jets had a choice. Jets had to get Aaron Rodgers in there. Their whole fan base now is engaged. They're excited. They have something to hope for, and they should be pretty good. It's a young team, and the stability in Baltimore, their personnel is really good. They bring in good players to fill needs. So who do you think got the advantage going forward in the AFC, Baltimore or the Jets? Yeah, you know, it's tough because with Baltimore, you've kind of seen this movie with Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. Like, they're always competitive. They, you, know, you know, they do well, and, and you trust that front office there. And I know it's a new GM with Eric Acosta, but he did well, you know, you know getting Lamar Jackson and signing the dotted line and things like that. And, you know, can, can, can Lamar Jackson win more than one playoff game, which he has on his resume, and go, go further? Can he stay healthy? He hasn't finished a season in the last two years, and then the MVP season is starting to feel like a, like a long time ago in 2019. So, I, like, i always been a big fan of Lamar Jackson as a passer. I don't think it's enough, enough credit to, you know, on that kind of, you know, category as a quarterback, you would think he'll get more love there, but he doesn't. Uh, and then, yeah, but I think you're right with the Jets, you know, reputation. Like, you, kind of talking about moves, you've seen it before, Brett Favre, they went all in and didn't work out. Uh, and then you have kind of, like, question marks with Robert Sala because, yeah, he's, he's a good coach. He knows how to build a defense, and he's doing it already with Sauce Gardner and those guys there uh, in New York. But, you know, when it comes to a playoff game, when it comes to clutch situations, uh, you know, close moments, uh, situational football, can he do that? Can he provide that? 
And then what happened to Dan Hackett in Denver? Can he bring out the best of uh, Aaron Rodgers again? Or was it Aaron Rodgers in his prime just doing most of the work and now Rodgers is older? So I am leaning more on the Baltimore side because Odell Beckham and Zay Flowers, they, they always just do well in the draft. Uh, I like that because obviously he's younger too. But I have my concerns on both sides. Uh, it is going to be a fun AFC, but to think Aaron Rodgers is like the sixth or seventh best quarterback in the AFC, it tells you how loaded that conference is. But I think you're right. Reputation does matter. Uh, and eventually you need to prove it, and prove it instead of just showing it on paper. Gilbert, I'm proud of you. I've known you a while. You continue to climb the ladder of success as an NFL insider. Tell everybody where you're at, where they can find all your content. Yeah, first of all, JT, thank you for that. That was kind of you. And uh, I've, been, I've been listening to you since I was uh, – Coming up through college and in, in, uh, the L.A. days, or even when I was uh, younger in high school, and I used to, I think I've told you the story before, but I used to deliver p- uh, pizzas for Pizza Hut, and uh, the late nights with JT was uh, always great for me. Thank you. Uh, but, yeah, I'm at sportsillustrated.com, uh, uh, part of the Monday morning quarterback crew there with Albert Breer, Connor Hoare. Uh, so we're doing a lot of you know, big things there. And, yeah, the draft kept me busy. Uh, we're always constantly updating the website. I had to do live grades throughout the weekend, but uh, a little bit of everything for me. It's, I was a beat reporter, uh, you know, J- JT has covering the Chargers and the Rams. So now it's a more of a national landscape, and uh, I feel like I've been getting settled in. But yeah, uh, check out the work work out work there, and then on Twitter at gmontan24 as well. You got it, my friend. Talk to you soon. Hope to see you soon. Thank you, JT. Appreciate it. Gilbert Manzano, really proud of him. Used to listen to me when he was delivering pizzas, and and in high school. I get that a lot. CeCe Sabathia told me the same thing on the sidelines. He was listening to me back when he was in high school. Always a compliment to be on and have uh, people that were listening now go on to greatness. And Gilbert's a really good content provider. Check out all of his work at SI.com. I want to say this because I should say this, and I'm inside the Raider facility. Ex-Las Vegas Raider wide receiver Henry Ruggs III told the judge today he will admit that he drove drunk at speeds of up to 156 miles an hour, causing a fiery crash that killed Tina Tintor and the dog. The plea could send the 24-year-old first-round pick to state prison for three to ten years. Now, he has a well-known attorney in this town, well-known, who cuts deals and gets the best for his client. And so I think this will be less. It's not my opinion. My opinion doesn't matter what I think he should do or not. It has nothing to do with my opinion. But we're seeing David Chesnoff and what his team is able to do. Quote, this is the first step towards a fair resolution to this matter. And we look forward to closure for all the parties involved. Now, Ruggs waived the long-delayed preliminary hearing with the agreement to admit that he drove under the influence of alcohol causing death. A felony, his lawyer said, a six-month sentence for a guilty plea to misdemeanor manslaughter will be folded into the total. And as I told you, this will be folded in to the time that he's already done from home. People have a strong opinion on that. I'll just leave it to the courts and the news, but I thought it was appropriate. This is the number one story in the NFL today, breaking news from earlier. We'll wrap it up on the other side, tell you what we got. We're off tomorrow. We are off tomorrow, not because I asked for it. Las Vegas Aviators are playing in our time slot. I'm playing golf. Why not? Got to do it. And then uh, we're back on Thursday. And then Friday, I need you at the Palms from noon to 2. Palms Sportsbook for our remote with Remy Martin.
Yeah, it's, I think it's, you know, um, just like you when you're in school and you're preparing for a test, you know, if you're not very prepared, there's a lot more anxiety and angst um, going into, you know, going into taking that test. And so I felt like with uh, the group that we had put together and having a full year, Brandon Jurgen is our college director, Champ Kelly, obviously our assistant GM, heavily involved. Um, and the other group of guys that we've that we've put together, our national scouts, Dewan Daniels, Andy Dangler, um, Sean Harak. Um, Lenny McGill, like we just have a lot of experience. We put a lot of work in. We put a lot of time and effort into this from the fall all the way up until uh, Thursday. And so we felt prepared and that preparation came across as, I'd say, an environment that was calm, cool, and collective on, on game day, if you will. That's Dave Ziegler exclusively with us today. We did 30 minutes plus with him to kick off the show. That will be somewhere on Raiders.com and all their social media platforms. I want to thank everybody today at Silver and Black Productions, everybody behind the scenes. Today was a long day. We got in here, did Raiders Roundtable, which is airing now. Then I did 30 minutes with Dave Ziegler. We did the radio show. That was awesome. Really love days like today where we can get everything kind of contained to knock it out. Then I'm on tonight on Sirius XM, 6 to 9 p.m. Woo! That's a long day. My wife is listening as she's driving to Tempe to pick up my youngest son to bring him home after sophomore year. I didn't know college kids got out on May 2nd. May 2nd, my son's done with college. He finished his sophomore year and then... In a little over a week, we're heading out to Oklahoma uh, for my son's graduation from OU. So it's going to be a busy, busy, busy May. And some big events coming up with the Raiders here. There's a lot going on behind the scenes here with programming. Heading into Media Day, obviously what's going to happen with OTAs and training camp. And just keep it at Raiders.com. This digital team grows, grows, and grows. They do a tremendous job. So thanks to everybody else behind the scenes. We were going to get to Damon Bruce. We didn't have enough time. I can't wait for this game tonight. I'm a Knicks fan. I'm a diehard Knicks fan. I care more about the Knicks, but I know you care more about the Warriors and the Lakers. And I like the Warriors in six. The Lakers could win this series. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not a guy who's going to tell you who's going to win right every time. I just think the Warriors play better basketball. They play fundamentally better basketball than the Lakers. Lakers need everything to go right to win. Anthony Davis can't get hurt. Anthony Davis can't miss threes. He shouldn't take any of the Warriors. They do everything right. Uh, the Sixers won game one. That won't affect Embiid playing in game two. Harden had 45. He was amazing. And the Phoenix Suns have their back up against the wall as they're down 0-2. But I want to end by reminding everybody the Golden Knights are deep in the playoffs now. This is where they expect to be. This is where it starts. They're going up against Connor McDavid and Edmonton in a best of seven. Remember that I was pushing for seven and getting home ice just for this series. Just for this one. I don't think that the Golden Knights will have a problem with the Kraken or Dallas. You never know, but I, I think this is the toughest test. And in order to win the Cup, you got to beat the best teams. And they don't have to beat the best team. The best team's already been beaten in the Boston Bruins. So this week, everything should drop. I mean, we've done enough Raiders. I got Raiders on the brain in a good way. Dave was great with us. But my focus the rest of the week is VGK. Wednesday and Friday at the Fortress. The weather's amazing. Everybody shut it down. Get out around Toshiba Plaza. Be there. The whole world is going to be looking down on Las Vegas from drones, and they're going to want to see crowds out there, and we're a proud partner of the Vegas Golden Knights, Lotus Broadcasting. So I'm excited for that. We are off tomorrow for the Aviators. We're back on Thursday and Friday, noon to 2. I'll be inside the Palm Sportsbook 
Uh, we got some Raiders coming around in regards to Raider fans, maybe a player. That's going to be an exciting remote. Make time on Friday if you can, noon to 2 at the Palms, courtesy of Remy Martin, Team Up for Excellence.